2: Welcome into Daily Face Off Live, your go to source for everything
3: hockey, live every weekday at noon Eastern.
4: What's up, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday, December 21st edition of Daily Face Off Live, streaming live on Twitter, YouTube, as well as, of course, dailyfaceoff.com. He's former NHL Netminder and current Daily Face Off analyst, Mike McKenna. Mike, how are you doing?
3: good getting ready to embrace winter around here frank st louis missouri we're going to see some mega negative temperatures and a lot of snow so it looks like a white christmas but it's going to be a cold one man how you hanging out there on the eastern seaboard
4: yeah not bad same uh, bracing for a little cold the coldest christmas we're going to have here since 1989 and by the way Today is actually technically the first day of winter, if you're keeping track. I'm sure our friends in Canada have felt like it's been winter for a lot longer than that. Let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock, and let's start with this. When you take a look at uh, how this season has unfolded for the Toronto Maple Leafs, it's been special in so many ways. If you would have told me at this point in the season that the Leafs would be where they are in the standings, with Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, and Jake Muzzin missing significant chunks of the season to this point, a 15-game point streak that they had, and then absolutely running over the Tampa Bay Lightning, the team right on their heels in the Atlantic Division on Tuesday night. What's happening? What, what's going on with the Leafs, and what do you think has enabled them to be so good?
3: Well, there's a couple things at play here, Frank. And I think first off, Sheldon Keefe deserves a lot of credit, head coach of the Maple Leafs, because that team's playing really hard. Uh, and you just look last night against Tampa, where it, that's a club in the Lightning that can generally control play. They have the puck on their stick a lot. They're good in motion. Uh, but I watched the Leafs last night and just said, man, like they're dominating board battles. They're winning every wall. They're, they're winning in front of the net as well. And even with the defensemen out that you mentioned, you had Mark Giordano step up. Sandine Sandin ended up missing time last night. Giordano goes up. He's not just playing with Hall. He's also elevating Lillian's, uh, Lillian's great game. But the big factor for me is look at how William Nylander played last night in the season he's having. It's not just Marner or Tavares or Matthews, the usual suspects for that club. Nylander's been really, really good, man. He's probably going to score 40 goals this year. I think he's going to get 90 points. And last night, Frank, he was the best player on the ice for me. He had eight shots on goal, but it's what he did along the walls, winning battles, creating turnovers that's really impressed me. There's portions of the Maple Leafs game that I haven't seen in previous years, a competitive level that I think Keith has coaxed out of them, and you're starting to now see it on a consistent basis.
4: Yeah, Mike, I try not to make too big a deal of regular season games, but the Lightning entered as one of the hottest teams in the league. They had one five straight. They were eight and two in their last 10 entering the game. And when you look at the way that the Leafs dominated them, having a 26-8 to shot advantage at one point during the game, I couldn't help but wonder what this means in terms of a potential playoff preview again. Mm -hmm. At least the way the standings are structured and the divisional format, it sure seems like the Leafs and and Lightning are on a collision course again. Does whatever happens in the regular season matter at all? Like uh, To me, I've reached the point with the Maple Leafs, like, they were one of the best teams in the league last year. I think a lot of their fan base feels the same way. It doesn't matter what happens in the in the regular season, this team is always going to be judged by what happens in the playoffs, and perhaps most specifically the first round. If they're on a collision course with the Lightning again, which team would be favored to start the series?
3: Well, it's gone both directions. You know, I think experience says the Lightning, but the way that game looked last night, especially if the Maple Leafs get some players back or a little bit of help at the trade deadline. I'd have to go and go for the Leafs right now, and especially if it's played five on five, because that game largely was, uh, and the Leafs were better five on five, and their power play was better than Toronto's, or sorry, better than Tampa. So, um, I think I'd be in the Maple Leafs camp right now, Frank.
4: Yeah, and still until those demons are exercised, though, I'm going to have a hard time picking the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I also think it's important to keep in mind, yes. We don't know what the Leafs roster is going to look like in terms of their trade deadline acquisitions, but don't be surprised to see the Tampa Bay lightning going all in yet again with another opportunity to reach a fourth straight Stanley cup final. Let's talk about the schedule. And we were just talking a little bit about the playoff format. And last week we talked about the idea of a potential expanded playoff, which the NHL has certainly resisted to this point, but. There's been lots of talk about the NHL quietly whispering about the idea of an 84 game regular season. And in exchange for that, the NHL's players would get uh, something of a reduced preseason and training camp instead of the maximum of an eight game preseason, which absolutely no one needs. And it was actually funny enough, last year the year before, we had a team, surprisingly enough, not meet the minimum games played required for the preseason, yet we're never called on it. Um, but is that enough for the players? This is always a negotiation, Mike. And whenever you see the NHL asking for something, the first thing you're going to wonder is what's in it for the players. And my thought process would be, yeah, even if you're putting on the equipment the same number of times in a season, that... Still, to put it all on the line in two more games for keeps, NHL players are going to need a lot more in return than just shortening the preseason. What say you? Yeah,
3: exactly. I mean, the preseason games, you don't even dress your full lineup in those. And let's face it, man, your top players aren't going 100%. And, Frank, we've already seen more injuries than ever before in the game. How fast it's played, how the training is. You're going to add two more games to that mix. What are the players going to get back? And I mean, that's kind of my question to you is like, this has to be a, this has to be a monetary home run for the players. Like, is there anything that the league's going to be able to do? Is it purely based off of HRR hockey related revenue? That's going to drive this home for the players. Because if you're just taking away preseason games, Frank, I don't see the players budging on it. So do you think there's a way that this is really going to sweeten the pot enough for the players to say, yeah, this is a good deal. We need to do this.
4: Not currently, and that's why I'd be really curious yeah. not just to see what they ask for, but also to see who exactly is running the NHL Players Association when it comes time to having this negotiation potentially in the summer. I understand the ask for the NHL is to increase some rivalry games to add some more divisional games. You look at the battle of Alberta, for instance, and the fact that that season series is wrapping up so early in the season and that they're only meeting three times probably leaves a little bit to be desired. I still like the idea of all 32 teams playing the other 31 home and road. I think it's important that every team gets to see Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews, no matter where you are geographically on the map and also likewise to see those players come through at home. Uh, for me I saw a, a hot take from our, our guy Tyler Remchuk earlier in the week saying hey what if they just forgave the debt that's owed from uh, players to owners projected to be $70 million at the end of the season. Wipe that slate clean, the salary cap goes up and the schedule increases to 84 games I also think it's going to take more than that for the players to budge as well. So a negotiation and certainly not a change that can be made unilaterally so keep an eye on that as we move forward in 2023 let's give a little love to Piotr kachetkov there's been so much talk about uh what the trophy races are shaping up like at the moment and you think of some impressive seasons that have been had by I don't know, Matty Beniers has been one and Logan Thompson's still technically a rookie for the Vegas golden Knights and eligible for the Calder. What he's done this year has been nothing short of impressive for the Vegas golden Knights. A big reason why they're atop the Pacific division standings. But when you look at Kochetkov, someone that came in certainly without the pedigree, without a lot of the fanfare, wasn't even projected to really be on this roster this season, even though he performed quite well toward the tail end of last year, as the Canes Continue to battle some injuries, but the injuries haven't gone away. Freddie Anderson, he's still been dealing with his issues. Uh, you look at Auntie Ranta, he's certainly not the most reliable in terms of health either. And Kochekov, all this guy does is win, riding a 10 game point streak now that has put him in some pretty elite category.
3: What I've really liked about Kachkov is that he has really good mechanics, Frank. Like you can tell he's a modern goaltender. Uh, He'll rotate and go to his posts. He he recovers with proper legs, all these little things that goalies talk about. But I think he's got a real flair to his game and a creativity that you don't see from everyone. And if I had to compare him, I would say that, you know, he's got the length and flexibility of of a Vasilevsky, but he plays with some of the jam and old school attitude of Anton Hudobin when we saw him at his best with the Dallas Stars during their Stanley Cup playoff run a few years ago. And Cashko is not a big goaltender. So it doesn't he's not physically imposing, so he has to make up for that with how he plays uh tracking pucks and, and his patience with it and I think more than anything that his record Frank is really a reflection of just his overall attitude. Like there's a lot of self belief, he's got some swagger to him. But his teammates are really enjoying this guy, Frank. Like there was a great exchange after the game last night between Jacob Slavin uh and Kachkov on the bench doing a post-game interview. And Slavin's just waxing poetic about this dude. And Kachkov's just waving him off with a huge smile, like, stop, 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 you know. And I, I think that there's there's more to it that this team really believes in him and it goes both directions. And I'll tell you what, that four-year contract extension that kicks in next year that was signed by the uh, Kachkov and the Hurricanes just recently for two million bucks a year. That's looking pretty good, Frank. Because I think this guy's sustainable in the NHL
4: so that's what i was just going to ask you which contract will end up being the best for the team that's been signed recently and all these guys are in the same age range kochetkov 23 Mm -hmm. stewart skinner 24 dan vladar 25 skinner's at three times 2.6 kochetkov four years times 2 million and vladar is at two years 2.2 million which one do you like the best
3: Oh, I'm going with Kachkov. That third and fourth year at $2 bucks, that's going to be a steal. Uh, Vladar, obviously, it's a pretty short-term deal. Skinner, I like that one, too. But, well, you get a guy like Kachkov, if he continues to play this way, third, fourth year of that, he should be a six, $7 million goaltender. Big-time value.
4: By the way, am I getting the pronunciation wrong? You're calling him Kachkov. I'm calling him Kochetkov. Which one is it?
3: Well, I went to NHL... Uh, PR to find out. So I we went with Kachkov because that's what's up on the site. So <laughs> if, it's not, if it's not right, we're going to blame the NHL for having something erroneous up on their own PR site.
4: Okay, well, there you go. So maybe I'll perhaps change my pronunciation. Uh, speaking of the Carolina Hurricanes and a big reason why they're at the top of the now-Metropolitan Division standings, which is incredibly impressive uh, considering how well the New Jersey Devils have played uh, in the 13-game winning streak that they went on, they have now fallen back to second place in both points and points percentage. Carolina and New Jersey have played the same number of games. And when you look at it, it's time for our stocking stuffers. We've handed some out earlier in the week, and I wanted to uh, give a little love to the Hurricanes because I don't think people have recognized for as consistent as they've been how little they've played at home. And this came from Sarah Sivian, who mentioned it on BleacherReport.com today. 19 of Carolina's first 28 games of the season were on the road. That means 50 of their first 64 days of the season involved travel and 27 of them were outside the eastern time zone. So the stocking stuffer for the Carolina Hurricanes, according to Sarah, is a little more home cooking. So uh, that's certainly in order for the Hurricanes in the second half of the season. What stocking stuffer are you handing out?
3: Uh, I got two quick ones here. One of them is I've got... An Alex Ovechkin stick for Matthew Barzell. And the reason being is that Barzell is only shooting at 5% for the Islanders right now. He has four goals in the season. His his playmaking ability has been great, 27 assists. But this guy needs some hook on that blade, man. Like he's got to start burying pucks. So we're going to get him a bigger curve on his stick straight from Ovi. Uh, And then the other one is for the Devils. They need a one-timer threat on their power play. And if that means splitting up Hughes and Bratt and the rest of that crew, Lindy Ruff, so be it. Split those players up. Get a one-timer option uh, and get your power play going because right now it's less than 20%. Uh, it's been in the bottom third of the league all year long, and the Devils need some juice, and I think that's one way they could do it.
4: I'm just going to give John Torella a tank top because that guy's just been flexing his muscles all year. Um, and how about, um, yeah, I don't know, the Washington Capitals, just a little good health. I mean, they could use it. Mm -hmm. Tom Wilson back today in practice in a regular Jersey for the first time all season long, closing in on his return and what a big boost that would be for a caps team that's been ravaged all season long by injuries, not just quantity of players, but also quality of players in their lineup and few players more feared in the NHL than Tom Wilson, as he has continued to rehab from his ACL injury. That's been a big one. Um, and Mike, uh, Always an interesting time of year at the holidays. But uh, let's see what uh, stocking stuffers our boy Cam Sharon is going to give us with this week's edition of The Number Crunch. That's right. Pleased to welcome back to the Daily Faceoff live show our friend Cam Sharon, who's appropriately dressed uh, today, a former Toronto Maple Leafs front office analyst uh, for this week's edition of the Number Crunch, which is delivered by DoorDash. <laughs> So, Cam, uh, the St. Louis Blues have been a really interesting team to watch all season long. I've called them the binary team. Either they're going on a winning streak or a long losing streak, and they've had a couple of them now. They've been a tough team to figure out because they were a 109-point team last year, and they've obviously regressed significantly to this point. What do you notice when you watch the Blues?
5: (laughs) Well, I was very happy this week because they were the last team that I got a very a good chance to look at. I've been tracking every single Toronto Maple Leafs and Vancouver Canucks game this year. So they were the last team that came up uh, as an opponent for either of those teams. So I got a really good look at them. The Blues were a really fun team of mine to watch uh, a year ago. And the reason is because they were so good at just converting on their chances. Not because they got a lot of expected goals or shot a lot from the middle of the ice, uh, but but they were really good. Pl- they had really good playmakers. Uh, Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, especially, are very good at kind of zipping the puck around the ice. Pavel Buchnevich and Vlad Tarasenko also work really well as a combination. And when you can create those passes, when you make those passes before a shot, it means that you're going to have a much better chance of finishing that shot. You're getting the goalie moving. Um, and so I was very curious to see as to whether or not the Blues have actually been doing that this year. When I watched them, I haven't been able to watch them as closely. Uh, as before. And I, you know, frankly, I don't have the data that I used to work with uh, with the Leafs to be able to tell that. So I have to look at it all on my own. And so, yeah, with the Blues, they're finishing a lot worse than they were last season. And if you look at uh, which players are doing that, it's mostly you know, it's it's a lot of that is due to that is due to Tarasenko's all-night shooting percentage. This is um, goal. I, I've looked at finishing as goals for minus expected goals for divided by shots for. So that's a little bit of a mouthful. Sorry for that. Um, but what I wanted to see was uh, was which uh, Blues forwards are really causing um, are really causing the drop for them, and uh, you know this is thanks, of course, to natural stature, as always. It seems like it's been spread across all those lines. Uh, Tarasenko has been much lower than last year, uh, but Bucinovich has been about equal. So you know, in the times that they've been split up, Bucinovich has seen you know seemingly uh, done well. Uh, Thomas and Kairu, I thought that Kairu was fantastic in Vancouver he didn't get to play last night in Seattle. Hopefully his injury is not too serious, but those two were still zipping the puck around pretty well. And there's really no reason for me to concern about them going forward so long as they can stay healthy. It just seems like maybe they were overperforming a little last year, maybe underperforming a little bit uh, this year, but those uh, overperformances and underperformances turn into 10, 15 goals by the midway point of the season. And that can, you know, that's a huge difference. That's about three or four wins right there. I think that the Blues are, you know, I think that they're going to turn around, uh, you know, become a solid playoff team. Same thing with the Flames, another team that I found really interesting that I got a good look at uh, last week. And those, you know, those are the teams I'm going to be uh, paying most attention to in the second half. With St. Louis, just seeing if they can get that offense back and clicking and being a lot more consistent. We know the goaltending is going to be a problem, uh, you know, losing Ville Huso this year. I just... You know, it just doesn't seem that they have that, uh, that safety blanket when Bennington struggles. But he's been playing well of late, and despite the loss last night in Seattle, which was the second half of back-to-back, very tough game, you know, I, I'm still optimistic about the Blues, and they looked really good in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, when I've just been watching them casually this year, Mike, I think that you've seen them a lot more. I think that they've looked fine. Uh, just, you know, it's, it's just difficult for them to seem to get that, uh, you know, that, that level that they were at last year.
4: Mike, before you hop in, I, yeah. I actually wanted to ask Cam, um, and I wanted to see if Alex could throw up that first uh, graphic again that we had with all the teams and their finishing. There you go. Um, so I'm looking at this, and and the the team worst in terms of change in finishing from last season to this season is the Colorado Avalanche. But I'm I'm noticing, and and I want you to explain this to me like I'm five because I don't understand it, Cam. But I'm seeing only they're not even quite at a full two percent difference. Can you give us some perspective in what that perc- each percentage means, you think, in terms of total goal change?
5: Uh, I haven't really done it at the team level, so uh, it would take about 30, 40 seconds to find out. But I would say it's about 10 goals at 1%. Okay. Um, so-, so that's been uh, –
4: So that's a big difference. Only a third of the way into the season, ten goals could add up to thirty or forty by the time the season is over. Um, You know, that's a huge change from year to year. It just it provides the perspective for me that I was like, okay, two percent. I don't really understand what that means.
5: Yeah. And right. And with a team like Colorado, you know, there's obviously less concern because of the injury. And I, I think that there's also just going to be positive and negative regression both ways. I think all the teams at the bottom are probably going to start finishing. It's just the nature of the game you have, you know, I don't think that anyone's bad for the entire course of the season. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, you know, obviously less concern on Colorado uh, than, uh, than other teams where, you know, they don't have Gabriel Landeskog ready to come back in, uh in the middle of January.
3: Yeah, Well, I want to increase scoring. And on Tuesday, I wrote a piece that's up on Daily Faceoff about changing the overtime rules to permit off-site. Uh, and I called it the pond hockey rule. Okay, you still have referees on the ice and officials out there to deem if there were penalties or not. But this is my idea to try to end games without a shootout and do it in five minutes. And I love the chaos factor. Do you agree? Do you think that this could possibly help scoring in overtime by going to pond hockey?
5: Oh, absolutely. And I, I am 100% with you that we want to get winners in overtime as well. Um, I, I don't think that anyone's really uh, satisfied with a shootout. I know we just had a great World Cup final that ended in penalty kicks, but after after 120 minutes of soccer, where both or all set, we're all players on the field are just absolutely exhausted. I think a penalty shootout is satisfying in that situation because they had so much time to settle it on its own. Hockey's a little bit different. Uh, especially, you know, there's there's nothing I hate more than watching a, a really exciting five minutes of overtime, and all of a sudden, uh, having to end it and go to a shootout. So I think I'd one up you uh, there as well, and just kind of go to rugby sevens rules as well, or uh, I think rugby I think rugby fifteen still does this as well, but uh, you don't actually end the game until there's a natural stoppage. So basically, no goal horn. Um, and one thing that I've noticed about uh, hockey or hockey overtime, is that there's been, uh, you know, we've had fewer games end in a tie or a shootout this season than, uh, than any other previous year, um, including the games that go to overtime. So this graph is just since overtime was instituted in the 1983-84 season, this is the percentage of games that went to overtime that end in a tie or a shootout, obviously shootouts since uh, 2006. And you can see three dis- or two distinct drops in 1999 to 2000. That was when the NHL went both went to four on four overtime and instituted the rule that teams in regular, uh, that tied at the end of regulation got at least one point. So we can, so we saw a drop there. It became, uh, teams became incentivized to play a little bit more offensively. And then of course, the switch to three on three, uh, in the 2015 16 season had a, also a huge drop and now uh, fewer than half the games. Go to a shootout has been even lower this year. So what's good about this year is that there's fewer games going to overtime in general, just because of the higher scoring regulation. But also, uh, but also that more games are getting decided in the overtime period than ever before. I think that that's great. I think that uh, it's good that we have fewer overtime or fewer tie in shootouts than uh, than ever before. But I I really believe with you. I really believe in you, Mike. That you. Uh, can bring that down to zero. I I don't want to see a single shootout for the rest of my life. Um, So if we can get that number as low as possible, fantastic. And I think that uh, going to pond hockey would be a fantastic move. And as you said in the piece, like, you know, oh, people are going to cherry pick. It doesn't really matter because you're just giving up a two on three or sorry, a three on two uh, in the blue line for several seconds if you're going to do that. And I think that that's going to result in way more scoring. It's going to be, you know, it'd be fantastic. And I think that, you know, policing the really, you know, the minute shot of the game doesn't really make sense in three on three. Just let the players play. I think it'll be great.
4: You guys are both speaking my language. Yeah. I actually wrote a piece uh, a couple years back about even more simple than going to pond hockey would just be increasing the length of three on three overtime to 10 minutes. We know what the quality of scoring chances and the expected goals, you can calculate it Almost nine, more than ninety percent of games would be ended in that ten-minute span. Especially at the closer you get to eight and nine minutes, that you're very, very likely to end up having a winner decided that way. And then that would further whittle down the number of games decided in shootout. Great idea, guys! Thanks to Cam Sharon for joining us this week for the. Can, I, can, I, can I
5: have uh, one more word here? Sure. Yep. For two more words uh, for the New Jersey devil shooter on the power play. Sure. Fabian Zetterberg
4: there you go. All Here's right. He's He's the Clyde. One dude. more thing to keep an eye on from Cam Sharon for the number crunch that was delivered by DoorDash. You see the promo code there at the bottom of your screen. Game day 25 gets you 25% off your first order of $15 or more on the DoorDash app. All your favorites and more delivered right to your door by DoorDash. Thanks a lot, Cam. Have a great holiday. I'll see you guys. All right, Mike, time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. Hashtag ask DFO. And how about this? A little confrontation there between uh, Michael Bunting of the Toronto Maple Leafs and linesman Dan Kelly. And when you take a look at it, fair or foul, that's the question. Is the linesman allowed to physically shove the player like this and get him off the ice?
3: Well, sometimes you got to take matters into your own hands, I guess. I think think Dan Kelly was probably a little bit aggressive in this scenario. Um, These two played together, played against each other in the American Hockey League. I played with Dan Kelly uh, in his rookie year. He refereed my last game in the American League. Uh, I I think bottom line, he's just trying to get Bunting off the ice. Bunting's resisting a little bit. I think it looks worse uh, than it really was. And Bunting said afterwards that he was fine. It's hockey, it's emotional, you know, basically whatever. But it's not a very good look, though, Frank.
4: Yeah, I would agree. I'd probably say a little bit over aggressive. I will say at the end of the day, this adds up to being fair because the amount of abuse that linesmen take and what they do to get involved in scrums actually putting themselves on the line. It's amazing that linesmen don't get punched in the face more often breaking up fights, uh, but they certainly take their fair share of abuse. And look, if sometimes you need to do something like this in order to defuse the situation and get him off the ice, probably even looks a little bit worse, as you said, with him sort of falling down the tunnel as it happens. But uh sometimes these things happen, and uh, certainly made its rounds on social media that brings us to our daily face off points bet daily bet segment with Tyler youremchuk, Tyler, what do you got tonight?
0: Hey, I got uh, two plays and only one game that I'm looking at. There's honestly not a lot on this slate that I love, but let's dig into it, courtesy of our friends at PointsBet Canada, because I do think there is some money to be made on this Minnesota-Anaheim matchup, and I'm taking the Wild on the puck line. If you jumped on it earlier today, you were getting it at minus 110. It's fallen all the way to minus 121 there for them to win by one and a half. Uh, the Wild have won five in a row. They've covered the puck line in four of them. The Ducks played last night against the Kings and lost in their last 10 games they've lost by two or more in six of them great spot on the wild and for matt zuccarello i love this shot prop i'm gonna keep hammering this shot prop for as long as it stays pretty much below minus 150 because he's hit it in like 11 of his last 12 games so let's keep riding with zuccarello over two and a half and the wild the win by more than one and a half frank
4: Thanks, Tyler. That brings us to uh, Mike McKenna for Garbage Time. Mike, uh, we just talked about stocking stuffers. Tis the season for holiday shopping. Do you have something else that's remaining on your list?
3: Yeah, I want to stuff my garage, and I want to know if anybody has an extra 8500 bucks for me to get this absolute beauty of an automobile. This, folks, here, this is a Trans Am. It's got Roberto Luongo on the front hood. It's a tribute to the 2010-2011 Vancouver Canucks playoff run. Look at grapes on the side of this thing. It looks like an alien next to him. I honestly couldn't believe my eyes when this came across Facebook Marketplace. I saw it in a group that I'm a member of. And it just blew my mind, dude. Like, you can buy a car with a custom airbrushed tribute that's, by the way, terrible. Like, the, the paint is awful. Look look at that. I don't know. I need it, though, Frank. I, I just want to bomb around in this thing. I think it'd be a perfect dirt car. And um, I think it needs to come with a big case of infect, disinfectant, though, too.
4: Uh, Hey, leave it to Chilliwack, British Columbia to uh, produce a beauty such as this. I actually think they did a pretty good job of capturing Roberto Luongo's face. We'll have to ask Lou about that next time we see him. Thanks to Mike McKenna for garbage time and what a unique find that was. Uh, That'll do it for today's edition of Daily Face Off Live. Thanks to Cam Sharon, Tyler Ramchuk, Mike McKenna, as well as our head of production, Alex Allard. We'll be back with you Thursday, 12 noon Eastern, you know where to find us. Until then, enjoy the games tonight, everyone.
0: That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff for the daily winner's